Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery, and Bloomberg Taking Stock is brought to you by Bentley University. What do rebooting America's oldest ski shop and crunching numbers at Vistaprint have in common? An MBA from Bentley University that prepares graduates to innovate and lead. Because business is everywhere, prepare here. Gains in technology shares are being offset by losses in energy producers today as the stock market fluctuates between gains and losses. Crude oil is declining. Canadian producers are working to resume operations, and Iran continued to raise exports. Apple is advancing, leading technology stocks higher. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. Dow Industrial Average is currently up 37 points, two-tenths of a percent at 17,537. S&P 500 up one point to 2,053. The Nasdaq is up 11 points, a quarter percent trading at 47.80. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil down 27 cents a barrel, six-tenths of a percent to 48.14. Spot Gold is down a dollar twenty an ounce at 12.51.70. And the 10-year Treasury is up one thirty-second with a yield of 1.83 percent. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Continuing a very special live broadcast today, we are at Dove Mountain near Tucson, Arizona. The Ritz-Carlton here in the midst of the Tortolita Mountain Range. We are broadcasting live at Invested 16. It's the power of big ideas, a BNY Mellon client conference. Joining us now is the person who kicked off the conference last night uh, down by the pool with little burning crucibles in the water and a beautiful Arizona evening. And I'm referring to Samir Pandiri. He's Executive Vice President and Global CEO of Asset Servicing at BNY Mellon. Samir, welcome to Taking Stock, and thank you for inviting us to the conference. Thank you for having us on your program. Uh, the... Uh the challenges that your clients face, and of course, this is an intimate group, about 200 people from across the country and around the world. The big questions, what, what, what is the biggest one at the top of the list when you're looking particularly at uh, some of the regulatory changes that have occurred lately? It seems that, that no matter whether you're a servicer or a money manager, Everybody is still grappling with some of the big changes. Yeah. You know, I think fundamentally, for example, if you're a money manager or if you're a money investor, what you really want to do is focus on managing money. So that means all of the other things, the operations, the technology, 
those are things that are not accretive to your core function. So I think what regulation does, it adds responsibilities to your non-core activities. And I think that is a huge burden. In other non-core activity, like my job, if you're my client, is to make sure that you're invested in the right securities, the right assets to, to save money and make money. Exactly. And so if you have to distract or, you know, spend part of your time doing other things like worrying about cybersecurity or worrying about your technology architecture or how you're actually um, robust from an operating infrastructure perspective, it's very difficult um, and it's very expensive. So, again, I think one of the things that people are looking for are solutions where they can take advantage of scale, they can take advantage of people that are that can do this in a professional way uh, so that they can really focus on their core business activities. How can the customer also take advantage of all the data that you have? Uh, the idea being that it's no longer plain vanilla investing stocks, bonds, cash. It's everything, alternative, non-correlate, so on. You built a model for this. Yeah, so, you know, we have a digital ecosystem called Nexon, which is really, I think, technologically 10 years ahead of where the industry is and really where we're driving the transformation of this company. And the digital ecosystem is based on a couple of fundamental principles. We collect large amounts of data. So we, for example, collect about 1.4 billion transactions on a daily basis because the cost of storing that data is significantly cheaper now compared to a decade ago. But then the second part, which is really the harder part, is taking the data that is important and relevant and making it consumable in a way that's useful to the client. So, again, if I can't take that and translate it into a form that's usable, it's, um, you know, so that's really the trick, and that's the challenge. So give us a specific example of a batch of data compiled over the years by BNY Mellon that relates to something that very specific that before you created these technologies like Nexon and Digital Pulse, that it was just kind of a lot of data out there. And now you can say, look, specifically, here's something someone can learn. What's one example of that? So one example is uh, if you look at our pension universe, we have about $3.5 trillion worth of pension assets that we administer. About a decade ago, 3% of those assets were invested in alternatives. Today, that number is 24%. So hedge funds, private equity, real estate. So as these flows happen into these real assets, you know, clients would like to get that information on real-time basis. So we provide them the data on the huge asset flows, the transformations that are happening in real time so that they can actually look at where they are invested relative to their peer group and really decide if that's really what they want to be in terms of the risk spectrum. Uh, and by the way, this is not information that we were able to provide, let's say, even five to ten years ago. Uh, we had the data, but it was not consumable. Now, I think with the technology, you can actually consume that data in real time. You also get the issue of many investors are paying for alpha, but they're really just getting beta. Isn't that kind of also going to be a look into what you're paying for and what you're getting in terms of the 
holistic universe of investments? Yeah, so one of the things that our data allows, so if you have, for example, as an investor, our clients, they might be using multiple managers. We can actually show them not only what their manager is delivering in terms of alpha, but what are they delivering relative to their peer group. So it's very clear, very transparent in terms of what the performance is. And again, we have a GRS, which is called a Global Risk Services um, business, which is really predicated on giving that comparisons so that as an investor, you can have a really good, solid foundation uh, to make these comparisons. The rise of fintech firms, disruptors, innovators, is that a, a threat to BNY Mellon and its model, or is it an opportunity in some sense? I think it's a threat if we did nothing about it. We are obviously very, very engaged, um, and we're also trying to think about how we should perhaps disrupt our own models. So, you know, as an example, we are looking at the use of technology. We're using it the uh, use of robotics uh, in terms of our operational uh, processes to really see if there is a better way to actually, um, you know, create the end product, you know, that the clients what want. What robots do? So uh, robots can really do what I would call the mind-numbing thing things that are, you know, task-oriented but rule-based that you can actually program that you don't need to have a person do. So you can actually have the person focus on the exceptions and the higher value added things that require some kind of a cognitive ability to make a decision. In using uh, all of this data, one example I was given uh, this morning had to do with emerging markets. Investing in a non-market correlated fund that specializes in emerging markets looking at capital flows into and out of emerging markets and trying to make a decision to see whether there's a relationship, right? Because you've got the emerging market fund, but then you've got the capital flows. What they found was almost counterintuitive. As the flows went into emerging markets, this fund actually did poorly. Why? Because everyone was benchmarking against the MSCI, and yet the investments were not part of the MSCI index. So this is going to allow not only the investor, but also the people that manage the money to differentiate themselves in a new way. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the data is the issue here, right? Because, you know, when you have metadata that can go at a much deeper level, you can drive analytics that you actually couldn't do before. So, and again, I think this is an example where if you actually have data at the most underlying basic transactional level where you see the flows going in and out, and if you can digitize that and make that consumable, you will have information that's not aggregated, that's general and nonspecific, but, you know, the contrary. So I think that's really the power of technology and data, which is really, I think, you know, driving decision-making now very differently than even just five, ten years ago. What's a challenge for individuals who work in this industry? You have a very interesting background. You, you, you started out in chemical engineering and got your MBA in finance, and you worked at J.P. Morgan, and you've worked on the trust side at BNY Mellon. You're involved with some of the emerging market issues. What is it? What, what is it? What, what, what do I need to know? What What is the challenge for for the professional in this industry now? I think in um, in my business, and I have uh, some of this background. Um, I think there's three things. You know, we are a very global organization. I lived abroad for over a decade uh, in Asia and Europe. I think, you know, having that global perspective is absolutely critical if you want to problem solve in this industry. 
I think the second thing, you have to have the ability to deal with change and drive the change in the industry as opposed to letting that happen to you. Having great change management skills, I think, are really important. And I think the last thing is you have to be able to disrupt, you know, traditional mental models and business models and really come up collaboratively working in different ways with your clients, with your, you know, regulators to solve problems that you couldn't solve before. So, again, I think having that sort of open environment in terms of how you solve problems is going to be really important. So I would say those things are probably really important, globality, uh, change management, and being able to work with different business models. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Uh, Samir Pandir, he is the Executive Vice President, Chief Executive, Asset Servicing. Coming up, we are going to be taking a look at the markets with Dave Wilson, our stock editor. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 